back to the Financial Success Show, live here every Thursday afternoon from our office in Brampton, Ontario. Once again, I'm your host, Jeff Eady. Joining me, as always, is my right-hand man, my uh, plaid-wearing confidant, Mr. Kirk Forsyth. Kirk, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm good. How are you doing? I am fantastic, sir. So today, we have a very special guest. I'm extremely happy to have on the show somebody I've known for... Ooh, wow, far longer than I like to uh, like to admit. Uh, gosh, I guess we've known each other for close to 15 years now. Uh, he is a real estate developer, realtor extraordinaire, uh, rock star, a director of photography in the film industry, Mr. Sean Minden. Well, I was going to say, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, um, I mean, we can touch on the rock and roll past and present, and then uh, how you made the transition from musician over to uh, real estate, and then, of course, now, real estate developer and uh, one of the top guys in Hamilton by all reports. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the music industry first? I ended up joining um, a band with uh, Dario Cernil and we were going to join Frankie from Teenage Head when he left Teenage Head back in the, uh, I guess that would have been the 80s. But uh, Frank was an interesting character. We couldn't keep him sober enough to do a lot of shows back in those days. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. That didn't go anywhere. So I met Bengali, which is the band that I had the gold record with. We rented a tour bus and we uh, went to Hollywood one way, not knowing how we were going to get home. And within about two months, we became the uh, top club band in the Hollywood scene. And uh, then we got a record deal. And so we went to Hollywood without a record deal. And then we came home with a record deal. And then wow. from there, things... It was history. We uh, we took risk, like it's just like in the real estate business, and like any other sort of business, you got to take risk to get a, a reward. So we jumped on a tour bus, not knowing how we were going to pay to get home. And our first big show was opening up for John Antwistle at the China Club in L.A. The Donnie Blaze book. No I kidding. Think. Donnie Blaze, one of my favorite characters in in the oh, entire city of Toronto. Been- and we ended up getting back home from LA about a year later with a record deal with RCA US and BMG. And then um, we did the record and then we ended up uh, putting it out and it went gold. Next thing you know, we were touring for two years. That's wow. how it happened. Yeah. That's insane. There's a lot That's of insane. Between forever, but can't tell you all the stories because we didn't ever talk about it. Here. <laughs> I've heard I've heard some of them. <laughs> so uh, um, Kirk actually doesn't know how we met. I actually no, wrote, I don't. I'm curious. I I I, I uh, for fun nowadays uh, still road manage the Forgotten Rebels, and Sean is the bass player in the Forgotten Rebels. By the way, playing tomorrow night at Lee's Palace. Pretty sure the the show is sold out, but uh, oh, that's we'll cool. uh, we'll be down there for that. But uh, Sean, you know this is actually because it is a financial success show, and and we we want to talk about success of all kinds. Uh, one of the things I remember you telling me is how you used to envision yourself sitting on the side of your bed, uh, opening for uh, a massive audience and really I'm, visualizing it. I'm a big um, believer you, in visualization my whole life. Yeah. On it. Anything you do in life, I like to visualize first. So when I was, um, when I first heard the first Def Leppard record, I think it was Pyromania, the one that I really loved. I, uh, I think I was 15. And I remember sitting in my room, looking at the poster saying, visualizing and saying to myself, I'm gonna to be touring with these guys one day. And within three years, 
I walked on stage opening up in front of 80,000 people in front of Duff Hopkins. So from that day on, I realized that visualization is not, um, it's not a gimmick. It's, it actually works. And uh, it's one of the most important things you can do, I think, next to being educated and everything that you have to do to get where you want to go. But visualization, like you look at Conrad Hilton, he had, he was a big believer in visualization and he had a picture of the Waldorf Astoria on his desk for 20 years before he finally acquired it. And he would wake up mm. every morning and look at that picture of the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. And one day he owned it. So I think if you have a goal and you visualize it and it gives you something to work, it's more than a goal, visualization. Visualization is, a, is more of an attitude, I think. Yeah, I think it's a, a belief structure, almost uh, tantamount to, uh, to a religion. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that really embrace it. I mean, uh, John Asaraf and, and uh, oh gosh, uh, Jack Canfield, the guys that put out The Secret, you know, they, they, they did a great job of explaining that visual is how important it is. They didn't explain the other sides of it, but, um, you know, doing it and practicing it and, and working your tail off to get it's pretty huge. Absolutely. Um, so let's, let, let's talk about your, sorry, go ahead. When I do a project, the same thing. I visualize the project being built. Um, I think it's very important and you keep, I always keep a picture of the project until it's built uh, close to me or somewhere where I can see it every day in my office. Well, I was just going to, I was just going to say that. the one right behind you? Yeah, I built that one. Yeah, that's something that I looked at every day for sure until it was built. Is that the, uh, the Corktowns or the Beasleys behind you? Yeah, that's the Corktowns. Corktowns. So this is actually something very interesting. Sean is one of the people... Uh, if not the person responsible for the rehabilitation of downtown Hamilton, all the urban infill that's down there. Uh, Corktown being one of the neighborhoods that were really in bad disrepair. Mm-hmm. And when Sean, I'm sorry? It was a very rough neighborhood when we first went in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, you taking me around the neighborhood. And, and uh, one of the things I love about Sean is somebody said, you'll never sell 12-foot townhomes in Hamilton. So don't bother doing it. Was it 12 or 16? They told me I would never sell 12 foot towns. Yeah. And what happened? Very uh, players <laughs> in the Hamilton market. What happened is um, I built them and then we sold them before I put a shovel on the ground. Wow. <laughs> there you go. And you should see the neighborhood now. They were so It's before, insane. Uh, well, I was visualizing. Then I went to the poorest neighborhood in Hamilton. By demographic next to one of the, they say next to one of the reserves, I don't remember where. It's called the Beasley neighborhood. It was a very rough neighborhood. Um, I was told by one of the local brokers, I will not say her name, uh, very prominent. She said, you got lucky in Corktown, but you will never sell Beasley out. That is too rough of a neighborhood to be putting high-end townhomes in. And we sold that out before I put a shovel in the ground. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> you know what? I I'm a huge fan of when somebody says I can't do something. Uh, watch me. I love that. Uh, Claudia Harvey. <laughs> yeah, Claudia fair Harvey. Enough. Fair enough. That's what um, she says all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm currently working on something that somebody said would never work. Um, I'm building. Ooh, do tell. Yeah, I'm building. I've got a lot that's basically the size of a single family lot downtown Hamilton. It's uh, about 80 to 90 feet by 46, and I'm putting five urban flat roof, one-story tiny houses on it, which are going to be a modern, like a Frank Lloyd Wright kind of style, very modern. Uh, I'm calling them semi-affordable. They're going to be rentals and no parking. 
they are totally um, different than anything that's ever been built in downtown Hamilton. I've got the support of the Neighborhood Association now, uh, some of the some of the councilors in the neighborhood, and uh, that's going to go up. That's our next uh, kind of cool thing that's never been done before in Hamilton. For me, it's not about doing big projects or doing stuff that uh, it's all about money. It's all about trying to change a neighborhood, and that's the whole model for my company is being able to go into neighborhoods and change them. And uh, so far, it's been working. And um, I don't just take on projects for the sake of taking them on. We have to have a reason to do it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to um, change this a little bit. We're talking about a lot of success here. But uh, one of the, the the flip side to success is failure. Mm-hmm. Have you ever lost money on a project, Sean? Honestly, no. Wow. I've got 25 rentals that I own. And, uh, you know, I was buying those houses when they were 80 and 90,000 in Hamilton. Um, I own most of them today. I've never sold any of them at a loss. I think we have a net worth of about $7 million after we pay the mortgages for the company now. And uh, I can be honest with you that um, the projects didn't fail. So, I mean, it's all based on your attitude. I mean, I don't, uh, I would like to say, hey, I mean, well, everybody has failure. I've had failure in other ways. I've lost money. Um, I haven't lost money. I have some money that went down recently in the stock market in this last little crash, but I didn't sell it. So I haven't lost the money yet. So I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, I don't consider that being down because it's still paying dividends for the rest of my life and it's money I'm not touching. So it's still not considered a loss for me at this point, unless I needed the money and was going to sell it. So, I mean, I've had other issues in life, obviously where you've lost, but uh, I think I found my niche and I'm really enjoying what I do. That's amazing. The fact that you enjoy what you do is everything. I don't care if you're sweeping floors, if you're uh, um, parking enforcement, whatever you do, as long as you enjoy it, that that really, to me, is the the definition of success. Mm -hmm. This this isn't a job what I do. This is just something I love to do. It's great. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And, um, you know, I was just speaking with him today, but let's talk about uh, how you acquired such a, a brilliant mentor. Uh, somebody who helped you originally with the, 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 the Corktowns, I understand. Mr. George Ross. How did you get to uh, to get to know oh, George that was Ross? one of my questions, uh, too. Was, well, it's pipe up, son. <laughs> <laughs> when Harry Stinson first came to town, he was a friend of mine, and I uh, helped him get a little bit. Like, we were kind of um, doing some work together, and he was getting to know everybody in the city. And he offered me to go to a, a dinner in Chicago, and uh, so bought a ticket for me we went to Chicago together we were sitting at a table um, somehow we got split up and Harry got put at another table and I got put at the table next to George Ross and I was going down <laughs> to Columbia University the next week to do a uh, value investing course because I'm a big value investor at Columbia University and uh, I told George I said I'm going to be in town next week and uh, he gave me his card. He says, well, why don't you stop by the Trump organization? Because we did a lot of chatting about, you know, charities and helping kids. We didn't really talk when I was next to him a lot about business. We talked more about, you know, how he helps charities and that sort of thing. So he offered me to come by for a tour of The Apprentice and hang out. Um, so I took him up on the offer. Uh, one day I just gave him a call. I said, I'm in New York. And he said, well, come by and... I went down just like on The Apprentice. They opened the elevator. I went up to the Trump Organization. 
Ivanka comes over, we get to know each other, we're hanging out. And we just had a great relationship from that point on to the point where we did a couple of charity events together and we raised money for cancer kids to help kids that are, uh, that need the help that are, you know, very sick and uh, it is the right thing to do. So we spent some time together and we got to know each other very well. And uh, he's a great friend and uh, he let me use the name on the project, which, you know, helped a little bit for sure. <laughs> Um, of course. <laughs> he's a great man. And you've met him, Jeff. And uh, yep. you know, there's not too many people I know like that. Uh, he's just a very, 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 very amazing person. Yeah, I got to say, for somebody that uh, that plays at the level that he does, um, having uh, lunch with you and, and, and him at uh, the Trump Towers, gosh, I guess about three years ago now, uh, a little less than that, it was... Uh, it was really interesting to see how down to earth he was, how approachable he was, and the fact that he wasn't arrogant. You know, a lot of times people are like, oh, somebody at that level, and especially nowadays with Trump uh, having run for president, you get a lot of like, oh, yeah, well, stupid remarks. And, yeah, you do. <laughs> and to be able to sit with somebody at that level and just chat and understand things about the way his life has gone is really, we're really we're insightful. We're a charity event, and, you know, we're getting him a first class ticket, and he's like, no, 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 no first class. Mm-hmm. I'm and he's what 86 at the time. He says, No, 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 you're gonna put me in coach. I'm gonna give me a cheap seat. The money's for the kids, we're not gonna waste it. Off, I'm yep. there, I'll be all right for an hour and a half on the plane or whatever. That was pretty amazing. Most people wouldn't do that, and uh, and he offered, and I felt bad doing it, but we did it anyways because that's what he wanted. So, yeah, no, and a, and a heck of a guy. Like I said, I, I'm going down to New York next week, and I was hoping I could. Uh, grab dinner with them. Unfortunately, our, our, our schedules didn't jive, but uh, still gracious enough to say, "Hey, next time you're in town, give me a shout." He's one of those down to oh, down to earth, real, really cool people. It's amazing. You know, he uh, yeah. he offered the he had me set up with meetings with Ivanka. I was going to bring Trump real estate to the Toronto market just before Donald decided to run for president, and uh, we were in negotiations. We came close to doing it, and George helped me out with that. Uh, in the end, it just wasn't a good fit because they decided they didn't want to go in the Toronto market. Um, I mean, so I, you know, I had a shot at actually bringing the brand to, to Canada and being the first one, which in some ways, you know, I didn't, I kind of like working for myself. Maybe it was a good thing in disguise because I can continue to focus on my company. Mm-hmm. I would imagine if I would have taken that position working for Mr. Trump and George, it would have been very demanding. And, uh, we would have had our work hard out for us. And and, I probably um, wouldn't have the time to do it under my company. So yeah, it was was definitely a, you know, I feel, I feel gifted to to know that I was up for the the whole offer to actually bring Trump real estate to the Toronto market. But in some ways that, uh, you know, things happen for a reason. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. And it sounds like you're doing all right with that. So let me ask you, uh, we'll shift it a little bit from that. Since you did the, uh, the Corktowns, what kind of changes have you seen in the, the Hamilton real estate? Uh, Kirk, are you going to talk at all during this one? I'm enjoying this conversation. I'm learning a lot. Not going to lie. I'm sitting here. I'm thinking, geez, Trump, a rock star. Like, but I mean, Ham- Hamilton has changed. Well, It has, and I don't know, Sean, I live in Burlington, which is right across the bridge from Hamilton, so I've seen Hamilton uh, in its worst and uh, seen it come up. I was working in Hamilton last year, 
and uh, it's pretty cool. Well, developers are the actually acquiring property now. We're seeing a lot of smaller lots get packaged up with bigger lots, and the prices are going up for sure. Um, we hit a billion dollars in building permits in Hamilton it's year after year. This is a great thing. We have a lot of companies moving here. Uh, I just did a commercial deal last week for a marijuana company. On um, we just I just got the waiver signed yesterday. You know, there's a, a shortage of spots for that. We're seeing a lot of uh, companies building a lot of um, infrastructure into the Hamilton. A few business parks are going up. We're really seeing a change here, and uh, it's about time. We've heard for many years, oh yeah, it's going to be a change. It never happens, but. This is real, you know, we've got some real players in Hamilton. Brad Lamb just came to town. He's got a project going up. We got Darko Vranich putting up some beautiful projects. And Harry Stinson here. He, so we're, we're seeing the change for sure. Um, is it sustainable? I think so. I think we have a lot of parking lots. There's a lot of secondary plan happening right now. City Hamilton's um, piecing off a lot of real estate right now to developers. So it's like the wild, wild west. There's a lot of opportunity here right now. It's a great time to be here. Um, you know, I suggest if, uh, you know, if you want to be part of it, you got to be here. You really do. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. What originally drew you to Hamilton? Well, I was from Hamilton. And okay. That helps. That does help, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I lived in Toronto for a lot of years, and uh, I came back. I just decided to come back. So I sold the, I had a film company called Sundog Films in Toronto that I sold probably well, I got out of around 2004 after I shot the last Johnny Reed and Billy Talent video. Um, I shot about 300 music videos I worked with everybody. I did the Great Big C video, See and No Cares. It was 37 weeks, uh, CMT, number one video. We shot it in Cosmo, Mexico with Warner Music. I was just in Cosmo like a week what and a half ago. When, <laughs> I left, when I left the band, when the band broke up because the whole music scene changed, I needed a job, so I started pushing cameras around on uh, film sets. I uh, kind of worked my way up to the camera uh, over a couple of years, and then a friend of mine, Rob Hayden, who was a director, says, hey, can you, uh, my DOP can't make it, can you fly to Florida with me to shoot the Edwin video? It was called the Edwin video. <laughs> and um, we were in uh, Key West, Florida. It was a great shoot because we were jumping out of planes and I don't know if you've seen the video, but Ed jumps out of a plane, ends up on the. Is that the the great to be alive great one? To be alive. So, I. Oh really? You shot that? That's hilarious! I didn't know that. Yeah, I wanted you know, and uh, so I shot that in uh, Cosmo, Mexico, and I was down in Florida. We so Edwin and I became pretty close, and uh, we drove home together after that shoot. <laughs> well, you got to be close to spend twenty four hours in a car I, with somebody. <laughs> I got in trouble for making him jump out of a plane. I. <laughs> you'll never work in this town again I remember Shannon Moshamas telling me I'll never work again the video, <laughs> the video goes uh, number one one's a Juno and Shannon calls me I do his next video of course <laughs> <laughs> alright you can make him jump on an airplane again <laughs> super honey after that so as soon as that video went number one and uh, went crazy on much music, my phone started ringing off the hook, and I and I started directing, and so I did some work with EMI and Siebler Warner Music. I did Wave, I did Billy Talent, I did Great Big C. I won a East Coast Music Award for Great Big C. Uh, I was nominated for five Junos, so I've had been nominated for Junos in two different careers: once in <laughs> Band Spengali, and then I 
go out and I'm in a whole different career and I get nominated for Junos again, which is pretty amazing. And then I won some CSC awards. Um, we won about five Much Music Awards for, we did Mac Master and James, we did Sky, Super Honey, I don't know if you remember uh, the superhero video or uh, McMaster and James, so many bands and it was a lot of fun. But then downloading came and I was like, oh boy, here we go again, just like the, the music. <laughs> I said, you know what? And I was shooting feature films for Jeff Campbell. I did the movie Outlander. I was the second unit cameraman on that. For Jeff, yeah. really? And then, oh, that's awesome. Another uh, member of the Forgotten Rebels, which okay. is awesome. The guitar player. Movie existence. And I'm doing 20-hour days and, you know. And, was that the Cronenberg yeah, film? Yeah, I did the existence. You see them. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided I didn't want to do 20-hour days. and. Uh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I wanted to be in a – because when downloading happened, I realized that things were changing. The budgets were starting to go down and – Everybody was starting to shoot on HD. And I was shooting on Panavision back then, and it was great, you know, like we had good budgets. And because I was the director and the cameraman, I would get double paid on all my jobs that I shot for myself. Because you get 50% <laughs> to be the cameraman and 10% to be the DOP, or the uh, director of photography, and you get another 10% for being the director of 15, whatever you negotiate in the boardroom. So that was a, a gravy train for a while. But then when I seen it coming, I said, you know what, I'm out of here. Um, I just finished winning the East Coast Music Award. I had a bit of money in the bank. And I said, you know what? I didn't want to be in a business that I'm in control of and nobody can control for me. So I moved to Hamilton and I started buying properties for fifty dollars and $60,000. Not knowing that they were going to go to three dollars and $400,000. And within two years, I would make my first million dollars. Wow. You know, and so, I mean, it's a lot of it's right place, right time. But... I always had a love for real estate. I did have some properties that I rented out in Toronto. I still do. Um, when I first got started, I have some units at the Cosmopolitan. I have a couple units at Noble Street. I bought for seventy-five thousand. I bought you know Cosmopolitan for one hundred fifty thousand. I sold wow. in the portfolio. I didn't sell. So uh, they're still on the rent check board. And still, I rent to investment bankers there. Uh, it's been a great investment. You know, you buy something in downtown Toronto back in the day for 140000 How are you going to go wrong? I mean, oh, you can't go wrong. Yeah. You just keep this stuff and it spits out cash flow. I mean, I mean, I'm not a mega player, and my rental portfolio brings in about 25000 a month. I mean, that's not like I've, you know, I have friends that bring in, you know, 500000 a month in rental portfolio. So everything's relative, but am I happy? Yeah, it's great because it allows me to sell a bit of real estate to my personal clients that I want to deal with. I don't take on clients I don't want to deal with. So it's been great in that sense. I don't, uh, you know, I'm not one of these guys out marketing. Look at me. I need, I need your business. I need your business. Um, it's more just, you know, I work with people that I want to work with that I feel comfortable working with that are on the same wavelength as myself. Um, yeah, and it gives me the opportunity to, because if I was just, you know, hounding real estate referrals constantly, I wouldn't be able to develop the way I am and have the time to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, you really have to, um, it's time management and being able to focus on what's important to you in your life. Well, I can certainly say uh, you seem a lot more calm than a few years ago when you and I were, were hanging out. You seem like you got, uh, you, you've, I don't want to say gotten older, but matured in your role. But I think you also touched on a couple of things there that I don't know that a lot of realtors really pay attention to. Uh, one is 
making the transition from salesperson over to investor. Um, yeah. That's huge to start building yourself for residual income. Like you say, 25 G's a month isn't that much, but I know people would be happy with 2,500 a month in residual. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not um, saying but I'm saying it to my level when I compare myself to other people I know that are doing it, like Tony DeSantis or, or some of the families here that have been doing it for years. I mean, he's in his 80s, but, you know, these guys have thousands of units indoors, you know, or effort trusts, you know, they're actually bringing in a billion dollars a year in rental income. They're pretty close to it. I mean, they own yeah. everything. Well, my buddy was actually the youngest vice president in the history of effort trust a few years ago. You know, yeah, moved down that. to Costa Rica. So everything, everything is relevant. Everything's relative and, you know, I'm still quite young. I just turned, I was, you know, in my 40s when I was 30s when I started building it and I'm just turned 50 and, uh, you know, and my kids are set and hopefully they come into the business and we just keep growing it. It's, it's a business that you just keep growing. You don't have to, you know, it's not a rush. It's not like any other business. Well, hurry up. We got to get these widgets out, you know, it's, it's a different kind of business. It's a slow growth business. It's all about dis decision making, what you take into the portfolio, what you buy, what you get rid of. I try not to get rid of anything, but if you need to raise some capital, sometimes you have no choice. Um, yep. But obviously, it's better to take money and like just re you know, just take money out of one of your properties because it's tax free until you sell it. There's no other business where you can do that. There really isn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a brilliant business model. Can I uh, can I ask you though, what would you attribute as like your your number one thing that you would give anybody? Like, if I was going to say this is what you need to be successful, is there one thing, or or, or can you put your finger on like your number one secret? You need to be patient because building a real estate portfolio, if that's what we're talking about, it happens very slowly. But it happens very slowly, but all of a sudden you wake up and it happens quite large, if that makes any sense. You know, yeah, like, uh, slowly at first and then all of a sudden. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's, it's there, you know, and you've got a company, you've built it. And if you keep trading along the way, it's like, it's like people buy stuff in the stock market at the top of the market. Like it's, it's typical behavioral finance. Like, you look at people, they go, oh, everybody's making money. I got to jump in. So they jump in then they lose money. Then they say, I'm never going to buy in the stock market again. And then another couple of years goes by. Everything fixes itself. A lot of people are making money. The smart money's already been in. You get to the top of the market, smart money's out. And, you know, the people say, well, all my friends are making money in the stock market. They got to put some money back in. They put their money in. And they, so they would just put their money in, even at the top of the market, and left it through two cycles, they would be ahead. You know, yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Three, and where have we heard that before? <laughs> Craig. You got to invest. Investing is, doesn't mean churning. It doesn't mean moving things around all the time. And it means holding. You have to hold and just be patient. It's the only way to make money that I've found. There's no quick rich scheme ever in these businesses. And when people say, oh, yeah, buy this marijuana stock or buy this or do that i just laugh when i see all these these companies saying you can just get rich fast and overnight some people do buy one stock and it goes big and they make a lot of money but that's just that's more luck that's not investing yeah investing yeah. takes time you gotta reinvest the dividends you gotta hold you gotta be very frugal with your money i mean it takes time you know and yeah, absolutely. uh absolutely it's the exact same thing you gotta be able to hold the portfolio 
even through the bad times. There's times when I've been negative cash flow on some properties and I go, you know what? And then I get finally get the rents up, you know, and then the taxes go up. So you're always fighting that balance. It's always a balance fighting. So, you know, you finally get the rents to where you want and you think you're golden and you've got to start getting the rents up again. It's, it's never ending. But, you know, if you just get fed up one day because some tenant upsets you or, you know, you're in the landlord tenant board and you go, oh, I hate this. Why am I doing this? I'm just going to sell this. You know, it's been a pain. Those are the things that, okay, you bought it for 70, you could have sold it for 150, but now you hold it for five, eight more years and that's worth 300,000. Aren't you glad you didn't sell it at 150? <laughs> so you know, patience, patience. Patience. Wusa, wusa. Wow, man, that's the first time you've talked the whole time. And that's it like, was not. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm really intrigued. So let's switch gears one more time. Sean Svengali is back together. Yeah, we had a number four song streaming on CBC. We went down with David Bendith in New York City because it was our 25th anniversary for the band Going Gold. And um, we recorded with David, who did Breaking Benjamin. And he's done a lot of big acts <laughs> in the United States. He did the Elvis remakes. Uh, he's probably one of the biggest U.S. producers in the United States of America right now. And wow. because he did our record 25 years ago, he agreed to do it. And um, so we went down to New York City. We recorded with him for 10 days, came back to Canada, did a video, released it. And next thing you know, we're playing sold out shows again. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to say, buddy, you are one of my more interesting friends by far. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like I'm lost still. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's got nothing to do with Sean. Uh, <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I had to. I had. <laughs> that was actually pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty good. You know, I love you. I know. <laughs> um, what's uh, What's next for Sven Galli? You guys oh, going out on the road? Or looks what? like we're going to be doing heavy in Montreal, which is a big festival in Montreal coming up. Nice. Uh, we just finished a Hits FM Presents show on last last week. Yeah, the Rock Pile East. Rock Pile yeah. was sold out, and then we did a Niagara Falls show, which was sold out. Great oh, Rock see. Pile, just Rock Pile. Great to see these shirts coming out from the 80s and 90s. It's just so funny. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. And then wearing these shirts from like the 80s and in their youth. It's funny, one of the guys showed up in the show. Um, he was in a band called Dungeons and Dragons, and he's like the big guy at... Uh, He's one of the big, big guys at Scotia McLeod in Toronto now. He doesn't even take on clients. He was an old broker too, so it was funny. We were both chatting up, and look what happened to us guys. We're both investors now, and you know we played together for years, and here we are doing this, and now we get to do this again. <laughs> wow, full circle. Has never been better. <laughs> playing in two bands. That's great. 50s the new 20, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's, it's more fun being 50 and pretending you're 20 and having money than being 20 and not having any money. <laughs> That's so very true. <laughs> so I told you to go by quick, Sean. We're just about at that 40-minute mark oh, here. So. Have to go to a, and I know that Hamilton. we got to go to a candlelighting with the mayor in downtown Hamilton. Well, that's perfect. We'll uh, we'll wrap her up then. Uh, right on that. Pleasure, note. and hopefully, uh, everybody learned something. I learned something talking to you guys. You know, 
<laughs> what's uh what's next for uh mr sean minden rock star real estate developer next is these i'm building a house downtown hamilton permits going in next week it's a modern urban infill i uh, just applied for eight variances and we got them all put through and um, nice. and then after that i'm going over and i'm doing the cathcart project which is going to be rental right now i'm focusing on rentals i'm building rentals um, I have a Terry on license. I built Terry on jobs too, but it's just where we are in the cycle of the market. I want to build some stuff and hold it for my family and for my portfolio. So, so you know, I, I think you go through stages in your life, you know, I'll eventually build another one for the public. Um, but right now I, I just, I want to build a couple for myself, a couple projects at that time. Stuff. Where'd you build them? Term, um, right right downtown. Yeah. And I'm going to add it to the portfolio. So, just sometimes it's good. To, a lot of builders do this. They'll, they'll build for other people or they'll build Terry on jobs or then they'll sometimes build for themselves. Um, it's cheaper for me to build right now for myself than it is to go acquire properties. I'm finding. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Oh. So uh, thanks for showing, uh, joining us tonight, Sean. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, if you're downtown Toronto tomorrow night, you can come see him be a rock star. I'll Are be there going? myself. Yeah, of course, I'll, I'm the road right. manager. Yeah, uh, forgot contest where you guys give away a ticket for the show or two tickets. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. You know what? You know what? Yeah. Two tickets for the show right now so you guys can give them up. All right, Kirk, come up with a, uh, a question. The first one to comment with the answer to the question. The first one to guess my age. Ooh, that's weird. That was, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Why don't Why don't we do Why don't we do something a little more guest oriented? What was What were you going to say, Sean? Sean gonna say? First one to donate um, I don't know twenty dollars to the Billy and George Ross Foundation gets four tickets. How's that? Okay. Okay. Uh, Billy uh, Billy and George Ross Foundation. First one that uh, emails us at Kirk. K-I-R-K mm -hmm. at blackthorn-group.com with a tax donation receipt of $20 to the Billy and George Ross Foundation. We'll get four free tickets to tomorrow night's show at Lee's Palace for the Forgotten Rebels. Come out and see myself. And, uh, of course, bass player extraordinaire, rock star, and real estate developer. Kids. That's the most important. Yeah, absolutely. All of those proceeds go to St. Jude's Children's Hospital, which is a charity that uh, um, works with kids that have cancer. So it's to a great cause. Uh, donate uh, $20. Send your receipt to Kirk at blackthorn-group.com. I will hook you up with four tickets. And Kurt, if I so guess your age, show. you're going to give another 20 to the Billion <laughs> Ooh, oh. ooh, do it. Do All it. right. 23. He's got to be with, with it. Oh, no. <laughs> I was gonna say, it's like a carnival barker. You got to be within one. So close. You know what? Twenty-four. I'll 24. tell you what. Since you did, yeah. Since you didn't get it, I'll donate twenty dollars. Okay, Jeff will donate twenty dollars. <laughs> Foundation now. See, that's how we do it. I absolutely, absolutely. So, Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I'll see you tomorrow night at Lee's Palace. Uh, Kirk, as always, you're a. a well, you're here. Uh, I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Hi, you. Hi, Mom. <laughs> I love you, buddy. Uh, no, that's, uh, that's actually really great. Kirk's going to take care of anybody who yeah, donates to, uh, to that charity. The first one that gets, uh, gets that email to us, we'll get four tickets tomorrow night. Uh, Sean, any parting words before we, uh, before we let you go? No, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And uh, I uh, hope you have a safe trip to New York. 
Awesome, brother. Thank you very much. I will be there next week, but I'll be back in time for the show. Uh, Kirk, any final words from you, my friend? Um, If you guys want to check me out live, you can come every Tuesday night for our FSE. Uh, we have another Which stands for financial success evening correct <laughs> and then january 19th we have our big event january 19th the financial yep. success show where we have of course show uh sorry financial success summit, summit. there you go <laughs> <laughs> the branding huh yeah well, of course really. we have our ceo craig dunkley speaking uh the ceo of dig it apparel miss claudia harvey mm-hmm. and uh broker extraordinaire mortgage broker extraordinaire mr jonathan tilger coming out that's gonna be aren't a great you event. speaking there too uh, i tend to fit in somewhere somehow uh <laughs> some way but uh in the meantime if you're looking for more information you can of course go to paylesstaxbook.com you'll see it down in the bottom left hand corner of your screen there or uh, reach out to kirk at k-i-r-k at blackthorn-group.com for more information on how you can take part in what we're doing perhaps be a guest on the show uh thanks again to our guest mr sean minden uh thanks to my co-host and uh my younger slightly better looking counterpart mr forsyth (laughs) my little brother (laughs) and uh as always i'm your host jeff Eady. thanks for joining the financial success show see you next thursday at 3 p.m see ya 